you know, on a monthly basis, we do receive about 30 leads, and normally at least one or two of them are uh, potential retainer customers for, let's say, 50 to 100 grand uh, a year, which is, again, something that may be a support contract, something that may be a low-end development contract or so. That is the voice of Mario Peshev from Devrix in Bulgaria. They're an enterprise WordPress agency, and you heard him correctly. On average, 30 leads a month from their website, and one to two of those will turn into a fifty dollars to $100,000 a year retainer for just maintenance support or a low-level development contract. How have they done this? What is their growth strategy? And how does Mario manage almost 50 people on his team to make sure that they can deliver what he's promising? This, of course, is the WP Elevation podcast, the show where we help you start and grow your very own digital agency. I'm your host, Troy Dean. This is a fascinating episode. Stay with us. This is the WP Elevation podcast, helping digital creatives and agencies elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation podcast is brought to you by our good friend Kim Barrett at Your Social Voice, a social media marketing agency based in Western Australia who have partnered with us to produce an epic blog post to teach you how to get more leads and clients for your consulting services using Facebook ads. So if you've ever wanted to use Facebook ads to get more leads and clients for your consulting business, check out wpelevation.com slash fbads. That's F-B-A-D-S. wpelevation.com slash fbads to learn how to get more leads and clients for your consulting business using Facebook ads. Thanks to our good friend Kim Barrett at Your Social Voice. Now let's get back to the show. G'day folks, Troy Dean here again and welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation podcast. My feature guest this week is my good friend and longtime member of WP Elevation, Mario Peshev. Hey Mario, how you doing? Hey, how is it, how is it going? What's up everyone? Howdy, howdy. It's midnight here so I'm just trying to wake up. It is less. midnight. Whereabouts are you based for those listening? I'm in Bulgaria, Eastern Europe. It's just... Uh, uh, yeah, five minutes past midnight, pretty much. So, wow, dude, thank you for thank you for staying up so late to do this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Now, for those who don't know and have been living under a rock for the last five years, who is Mario Peshev and what do you do? I am the CEO of Devrix. We are a distributed WordPress agency based out of Europe. Uh, we are a team of uh, almost fifty people now. Whoa. And we've been, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fun team, you know. I've been enjoying growing the growing the company over the past ten years. Um, <clears throat> we've been primarily focusing on enterprises, publishers, and some specific startups that we've been partnering up as well. And over the past year, we've also been working on some products. So it's definitely going to be an exciting 2020. Um, let's just wind back a second. <laughs> You're a team of 50 people. <laughs> I think it's about 48 now or so, but yeah, let's round it up to, to 50, shall we? <laughs> wow, that's just epic. Um, so question is, and there's lots to unpack here, which we, we will throughout the course of this show, but a couple of things. First of all, how do you, what's your process for finding, first of all, let's take a step back. What's your process for knowing that you need to hire somebody? So to be completely honest, once you have about 40 plus people, it's a little bit easier because every single person is adding up to a small percentage on, in addition to the rest of your headcount, right? It's, uh, uh, I do have a friend, well, essentially my friends from Modern Tribe, 
Uh, I remember a story of there they said, well, when I was a single freelancer, when I had to hire my first employee, my number one, uh, they were adding up to another 50% of the work count we were supposed to be producing and giving out, right? And additionally, when you're hiring your very first employee, it's pretty tricky because you have to spend about eight hours working for them and helping them and then spend another eight hours actually doing the work you're supposed to do. Uh, once you keep scaling, it actually gets easier to hire and, and essentially work with new people. And you're also supposed to have your VPs, your C-suite and other types of team leads and uh, managers and whatnot. That can help you scale further. In terms of uh, us and hiring, we have already established some process for what does it go into a specific project, what sort of roles we need. Like, let's say we have a project manager, we do have a custom role that we call um, project owner, which is like a product owner, but for projects. Mm -hmm. We do have a QA, we do have, you know, front-end stuff, which is additional because most of our products are kind of back-end and so forth. So we do have certain percentages helping out with each project, and we do know what sort of quotas we've got for every single row, which makes it uh, you know, a little bit easier as we keep scaling. Uh, it's really hard to hire the first row mm. or rather the first employee out of a new row because you still don't have the job description, you still don't have specific requirements as to what they're supposed to be helping. And this is kind of one of the challenges we are dealing with right now. For example, just a couple months ago, we had hired our very first AdOps expert, which is Ad Operations, someone who's really experienced in managing advertisements and, and kind of generating revenue out of squeezing budgets and working with audiences and so forth. And this is more or less a new role for us, and it's really hard for us to adapt that and align that uh, to our core process. Once you know the job requirements, once you have one or two people that know how to perform at their best at the role, it's getting easier to scale further. So do you have does, – does, who makes the decision that, okay, we need to take someone on? Is it a, a project lead or one of your management team that come to you and say – I mean, are they empowered just to hire people as they see fit or do they come to you and say, look, we need, you know, another senior developer here? Is it in the budget? How does that work? So normally we do have uh, more or less of uh, quotas of availability and we do know, well, okay, this month we do have, let's say, 2,000 billable hours that we need to clock in. And the vast majority of those hours are actually backend development. So uh, what do our numbers look like? Can we afford to take on a new project right now? Can we afford to actually extend the, the duration and the workload on those projects? And then we, we kind of try to answer those questions first and decide on whether we need new people or not. This is kind of one part of the equation. Uh, especially right now, we, are, uh, we have just headed into Q4, and Q4 is one of the most intense seasons, essentially, mm. uh, simply because Thanksgiving, Black Friday, all that jazz is, is really adding up to uh, lots of advertising budgets and lots of work that needs to be completed by the end of the year. Mm. Uh, so since we know that this is uh, that's this kind of seasonality, we are predicting that and we are working pretty much from the end of spring throughout the entire summer on hiring and onboarding new people so that we have enough manpower to leave and survive through Q4. Um, apart from that, it's really a team decision. It's something that we do, uh, again, as a part of the team, something that our VP of engineering indicates, our CTO indicates, our head of project management indicates, and our other resources as well. If we need that some projects aren't really going as well as we would like to, we do analyze who has been involved there, um, at what capacity, uh, what problematic tasks have been worked upon, 
and whether it's a matter of lacking resources or other problems that we need to tackle differently. Mm. Um, this year, we have also built our own time tracking system. And the reason we did that is that it's simply because we need a lot more reporting and uh, really fine-grained analysis of what's happening within the company so that we can react upon different triggers and different rules. So why build your own products and devote resources to building your own time tracking products where you could just use something like Harvest or EverHour or one of those time tracking tools because that's going to take resources away from working on client projects, right? Talk me through the decision-making process there. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So at some point, we have spent quite a lot of time investigating different solutions such as um, Togo and Harvest and whatnot but they weren't really as well aligned with our process. With about 50 people on staff, we have people from different countries and people using different devices. For example, salespeople aren't really spending that much time on a laptop. They're using their phones for the most part, right? Uh, We do have people using Linux and Mac and Windows, so it's getting pretty diverse. We do have some people that spend quite a lot of time in meetings and they do need a a smartphone application or even a smartwatch application that gets the job done, right? And going through all of those scenarios, we have figured out that none of the existing solutions was as usable as we would like it to be for everyone on the team. And it's one of the things that you really need to be working properly And at the same time, you can't really make any compromises with it. And with a custom tool, we can afford to design all of the interfaces we actually need and make it in a pretty efficient manner so that everyone is happy, right? Because now that we have our core application, we have resembled everything that we used to do previously, so the user experience isn't really impacted, but we do have access to so much more reporting. And we also do have access to to communicate with our staff in a more elegant manner, in a a manner that's a lot more robust and versatile. And if we change processes, those people now have access to the outcome of these processes and the things that they should be following. For example, if they clock, let's take this as an example, if they clock under six hours a day, we send them a reminder like, hey, have you forgotten to build some meetings today? Or uh, did you take a half day off? Or did you do this? Did you do that? Right? So did you receive custom tailored reminders related to our process and our expectations for different roles, right? Additionally, uh, uh, let's take another example. Now, um, if we have people clocking specific tasks, now in our system, those tasks are merged. Let's say it's a UI requirement that goes to a creative, then to a front-end developer, to a back-end developer, to a QA, to a project manager. Each of them is clocking this task in their own workspace, but those tasks are then consolidated and we do have access to each of the single bits, but we do have the total number uh, ready for reporting for our clients, right? This is something that you can't, you don't really have out of the box with Harvest, for example, or, or you need to, ex- to export everything and then do a lot of, you know, kind of yeah. math behind the scenes math, and they yeah. change their API. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting a lot more complicated and you're relying on something that's crucial for your business for a third-party application, which is far from ideal. So roughly speaking, that's how we decided to do that. In the same fashion, we do have our own custom uh, CRM. Mm -hmm. We have recently built our business process management system, which is something that we're probably going to offload as a new product, to be honest. And yeah, I mean, after all, we're a development team and sometimes off-the-shelf solutions aren't really something that's doing uh, the best job for us. And to be completely honest, uh, right now, we are also reconsidering the use of our project management system and whether we should kind of grow our, uh, our own. 
And the same goes for something like Slack. Even though for instant messaging, we're still probably either going to go with Slack or something else. But for project management system, it's still unclear. We may as well actually build our own. So, so my next question was, and I think you've answered it, is how do you get an ROI out of the resources that you devote to building these internal projects? Because the obvious thing would be to turn them into a product that you can then sell to customers, but that's not as easy as we might think, right? Because that causes a whole bunch of other headaches. You've got to have a dedicated support team. You've got to have dedicated marketing channels, turning, you know, selling something. Your you've message built, has been sent. Goodbye. Uh, selling something. Sorry, I just got a weird message from Skype in my ear there. Uh, selling something that you've built internally to external customers is not as easy as uh, as it sounds. So is that part of the plan is build something, use it internally, get a great use case for it, and then actually sell it to customers? For some of the products, yes. Our CRM that we wrote several years ago, we then planned to sell it as a product. However, several pretty good solutions were already rolled on the market, and we simply didn't see the need to compete with all of them. Now, it, it was probably going to be a good pick at the end of the day, but just investing in so much marketing to compete with giants like, let's say, Salesforce and uh, Infusionsoft and pretty much everyone else in the market, it, it really didn't make quite a lot of sense. And to be completely honest, some of those tools are something that's so unique to our workflow that it doesn't necessarily fit everyone else's culture. And I'm going to give you an example now, uh, because I mentioned that we've been reviewing project management systems and stuff. Uh, our our work process is pretty intense. Our sprints are week long, and lots of people have tasks that take no more than two hours to complete. And our front end team, for example, they have like 15 tasks a day or so, simply because most of those are CSS fixes and stuff. But it doesn't mean that it's it's easy, right? Because they need to hop between projects and they need to compile Gulp and SAS and this and that. It, it's pretty intense, but you know the pretty skilled and highly efficient. But when we were looking at the roadmap of Asana and, and Basecamp and a bunch of other systems, and once you open the demo, you see that practical companies, they do have like, let's say eight tasks for the entire quarter, right? And once you compare this to more than eight tasks a day, you do understand that the use case for most businesses is a lot more easygoing than what we have here. Mm. And our product wouldn't necessarily resonate with other companies that are, um, you know, don't sure. spend that much time working on regular tasks. Yeah. Um, let's pivot back to the team for a second. So you 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 make a decision as a, as a leadership team that you need to hire someone. Where do you first go to start recruiting? Where do you start putting your feelers out? So over the past few years, we've hired a lot more locally, and we do have an office, which is where I am right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but we still do try to use different channels, like going to work camps, social uh, networks, uh, Upwork at times, Jobs WordPress Net, lots of those kind of standard channels are working out really well for us. And and yeah, just trying to uh, trying to give back more internally is something that we really care about because um, one of the one of the caveats with like I, I'm going to. Uh, kind of take it a step back for a moment. Now, back when we started, we were like 20% on-site and 80% remote. Now, probably over 60% of our staff is in-house. So it's a little bit different. Dynamics are working in a kind of different manner, even though we're still pushing for more remote manpower in-house. However, what we found out, and one of the reasons why we actually brought a lot of the manpower internally, was that 
you really need highly skilled and well-trained people to be efficient as remote employees. And the more we started scaling up toward enterprise-grade customers, uh, the more the necessity of 24-7 support and things like that was made apparent and something that required really having people on site. And some of those jobs aren't necessarily highly complicated, but you simply need people who can react quickly and pair up with other people inside, in-house, at the office. So this is kind of one of the reasons why we went internally. And, and again, just the, the gap between finding, uh, well, just hiring remote at some point of time became really hard because you need the most talented people out there. And, and, and this is kind of one of the tricky bits. And at, at the same time, you can get people with, let's say, a couple years of experience and work with them for like six months, seven months, eight months, and then get them well acquainted with the process and pairing them up with senior developers with like 10 plus years of experience. And this, this is turning out to be a pretty interesting symbiosis of people who are excited about what they do and people who know how to do that and are really tired of doing it like 200 times. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what's your recruitment process look like? You find someone who you like the look of and on paper they all stack up. How many touch points or how many interviews do you put them through before you actually start working with them? And then do you employ them or do you just work with them like as a freelancer and test them out before you make that commitment? Mm -hmm. So normally we do have internal vetting of those people, like reviewing their CV, credentials, background, experience, anything else that we can essentially get a hold of. Uh, then we do have initial uh, phone interview for 20 minutes or so. We do hand them a quiz and a task, a sample task that they're supposed to complete by the end of the day, by the end of next day or so. And then we do have another formal technical interview. That's normally uh, how it works, right? For more senior roles, it may be a little bit more complicated. Like we may have several different interviews, like me and again, my CTO and VP of engineering just testing out different questions. But roughly speaking, that's kind of how it works out. Simply because we do look for different things. Now, experience is merely one of the many factors we're looking for. Culture is among the most important things. Communication skills is, again, it's pretty much paramount, right? Uh, because since we're working in a remote environment and since none of our clients is, you know, uh, local, so to speak, communication is really paramount. Um, also, reaction times and just handling emergencies, this is really something that we deal with a lot. Because some of our customers, they do surf over 400 million pages a month, and we do have several of those. So just reaction times is one of the most important factors at the job. At some point, it's more of a, of a support job than development, even though, again, I don't want to uh, really say that we're a maintenance company. I'm saying that we do a lot of development, but we do integrate lots of third parties, which is why people have to be pretty sharp and react quickly and solve emergencies in a timely manner. And that's why we go through multiple interviews. And the thing is, uh, frequently we do find great talent with, let's say, 10 years of experience, but they're used to a more chill type of workspace or a kind of remote product company that has, you know, monthly sprints. And then again, you deal with like three tasks a month and so forth. They may be highly skilled, but they're not really suited to work in that sort of environment. And sometimes you have less experienced people who are, however, pretty sharp. Let's say people who have gone to uh, math competitions at school, you know like those kind of geeky algorithm solving puzzles. 
And sometimes they actually make better team players because they know where to look at. They know how to debug. They know how to find the culprit of the problem pretty quickly. They know how to patch it. And then they know how to document it so that essentially next day we can sort it out as we are supposed to do. So it's a lot of being able to debug quickly, find the calls, patch, document, and then kind of finally solve it on any day. How do you strike the balance between, are you a believer of higher skill or higher for cultural fit and then teach skill? Cultural fit is definitely paramount. And this year alone, we've had a couple of people who are no longer part of the company entirely on the base of cultural fit. Mm. Simply because, again, we all of us do see the workspace and the workplace essentially as uh, our more or less second family. And I'm not saying that simply because, you know, we are so cheery and, you know, joyful and all the fun, but <laughs> we do spend a lot of time at work, right? Yeah. And just having toxic people or having, you know, people who are really lacking or people who are simply not fitting, it's off-putting and it's really contagious for other people. So we simply cannot afford to have those people in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, which is why even if someone is extremely skilled, you know, a great fit on paper and they do, you know, all the essentials of the job, if they are not a culture fit, they're simply not going to stick around with us. And we, again, we are willing to give some people a chance, even if they lack uh, some of the experience, given that they're, they are a good culture fit. Which is why uh, something else that we've kind of discovered is that people with, let's say, three to four years of experience, of real practical experience, make probably the best people on the job for us. Because, uh, as I said a bit earlier, some of the things we do are not rocket science, mm. but really require you to, to focus and follow established processes for 500 different things. And those people with two to four years of experience, they are pretty excited about that. They still haven't gone through that dozens of times so that they get bored and they no longer want to do that. And they're extremely capable of, of really helping out in different scenarios, simply because everything is so thrilling and exhilarating and, you know, like, oh, I know how to show that. Let's let's see if this is the same context here. And like, let's see if we can patch it. They, they just get the most joy out of the job, really. Mm. How is your role as – so am I right in saying that you're the owner of Devrix? Are you the sole shareholder in Devrix? Yeah, I am. I'm currently operating as a you know, chief executive officer, but simply someone needs to do – someone needs to deal with accounting and legal. That's yeah, why. yeah. So, so how has your role changed over the last five years as you've grown this team? And, and um, do you miss being on the tools or, or is leading the team and growing the company now the, the, the rabbit hole that you're enjoying going down? Well, so here's the thing. Now, uh, I really don't have that much time dealing with hands-on coding anymore, right? Uh, however, you know, every couple months or so, I do spend, let's say, a few days actually coding. And just this Saturday, uh, we did have a contributor day at the office. Huh. And both the local people and we met the remote people on Slack. We did a contributor day here at the office. We had some pizza and snacks and whatnot. Uh, and, and, you know, I... I spent seven hours hacking around the WordPress core and I refreshed the patch, I submitted one more and so on. So I still had a, you know, kind of hacky weekend, but I, I, I can rarely afford to spend all that time throughout the week. Yeah. And back in the day, like five years ago, I was still heavily involved with coding. I was working with our largest customers. I was in charge of both 
sales and onboarding them and, and kind of doing the first few jobs for them, establishing process and documentation and then kind of laying everything down to everyone else in the company and then kind of slowly transitioning them to the team. Now I'm kind of not really active with this, even though I'm still working with some of our new clients and still kind of dealing that, for example, I'm doing the, I'm performing the initial migration, initial setup, initial code review or so for like, let's say 10 hours throughout the month. And then I'm kind of briefing everyone else on the team. Okay, this is what I discovered. This is what I found. That's what you need to take care of right now. Uh, so it's still a balance, but I wouldn't say that kind of more than, you know, 8 to 10% of my time is spent on development, even though I more or less miss that. The good news is that at some point of time, I, I, I realized that this isn't really productive and I need to spend a lot more time on communication, on culture, mm-hmm. on growth, on just managing process, on monitoring finances, closes, uh, closely and so on. Yeah. This is a couple of years ago, we hired our VP of engineering mm-hmm. who has about 17 years of uh, engineering experience and wow. he's kind of working with engineers day to day, which is again really helpful. Uh, and I also kind of started to build the rest of my senior stack, just having people in charge of all of the key areas and all the key departments so that I can spend more time on, on kind of the, the bigger picture, not working that much in the business, but more on the business. Yeah. Who, who does biz dev? Where, where, do you, where does the steady stream of clients keep coming in to fund the growth of the business? How does that happen? So there are, we don't have active outbound salespeople in-house. We have tried that a few times. It didn't really work out that well for us. And we do have four different streams of, uh, of income or four different streams of revenue. And before I, before I said that, it's really important that we, 95% of our business is actually WordPress retainers. We have kind of coined the WordPress retainer terms to be completely honest about five years ago. And our very first retainer is still with us, which is something that we are super pleased with. Wow. And this means that for the most part, we we actually don't have to do that much outbound sales, right? We do have some churn rate, but, you know, luckily it isn't that much, at least I hope so. Uh, so things are running, uh, uh, running pretty smoothly, and we do rely on those four channels of uh, sales that I just mentioned earlier. So the first one is um, partnerships. We do have partnerships with, you know, a hosting company, one ad operations company, and, or, and two or three more businesses, and we're kind of sharing clients with them. Uh, they are non-competing, so we can afford to work together with all of them at the same time sometimes. And this is kind of one of our first uh, channels of success. The second channel is inbound marketing. We do rank pretty well for some of the important keywords that we care about. And this is something that we're pretty happy with. You know, on a monthly basis, we do receive about 30 leads. And normally, at least one or two of them are uh, potential retainer customers for, let's say, 50 to 100 grand uh, a year, which is, again, something that may be a support contract, something that may be a low-end development contract or so. We also do rely on my own personal branding, which is, again, my social, my interviews, my PR sessions and everything else is going on. I've been published on Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., HuffPost, kind of all the big media, and I'm kind of spending some time on just thought leadership and just helping everyone else because I firmly believe in employer branding. And the fourth one is some of our external resources like case studies published elsewhere or guest posts elsewhere. Just some of those media that our prospects are reading and and kind of they connect us with the the equation. Or let's say, you know, top WordPress agencies, Clutch, some of those kind of sources that are kind of external to us, but people are vetting them and doing some due diligence on the company and then reaching out to us. 
Congratulations, man. The uh, the business model built on recurring revenue is a sweet, sweet thing, isn't it? Pretty solid, yeah. We have invented the communism in WordPress. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, is is all your development work on WordPress? I had a very interesting conversation with uh, Josh uh, Strobel from Pagely recently, and of course they've spun up Northstack, which is a you know serverless uh, hosting um, environment. We talked about how you know the future of WordPress as we know it is is going to undergo you know some kind of transformation, and we're not really sure where that's going to land. But are you are you guys projecting that you know for the foreseeable future that you'll just be developing on the WordPress platform? Yeah, most likely. Uh, we are actually partnering up with Josh and Pagely as well huh. over the past few years. We share some of our kind of highest traffic customers there. So we probably serve about almost 2 billion pages a month on his servers wow. from our portfolio of customers. So it's pretty fun. But apart from that, we do take on WordPress clients predominantly. However, that doesn't mean that all the work we do is, is WordPress specific. Mm. Our engineers do have experience in other programming languages and platforms and stack. We do have some folks that have, who have done Python or Ruby or Java mm. uh, or even C Sharp. So we do have diverse expertise in different fields, but we try to do that as a kind of minor part of the job. Whenever we do have API integrations or just bundling up with different solutions that require uh, knowledge of different programming tools, programming languages or frameworks. So we kind of do have some people who dabble with different programming languages along the way. But additionally, we are also heavily investing in everything that's pretty much JavaScript-based, including React and Vue.js, including headless websites, mm. which is probably one of the more interesting trends that we are going to see reoccurring more and more throughout 2020. Yep. And again, right now, we are doing some R&D work for some of our publishers using Gatsby.js for headless web applications. And at some point, we may have a decoupled kind of headless CMS and yeah. kind of a static you know, front page of the website just hosted elsewhere. And then we can do a lot of fun stuff once we get that running. Yeah. It's funny, we're um, rebuilding my website at the moment, my personal brand website for launch later this year. And well, we're running out of time, but <laughs> hopefully launch before <laughs> Christmas. And my brief to the team was, hey, just for fun, let's build this uh, headless version and let's run Gatsby.js on the front end and uh, let's use WordPress in the back end so that I can still update the content, but let's make it super fast and super secure and uh, headless on the front end. And of course, I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm no longer a developer, uh, but my team have uh, taken the challenge and they're like, yay, we get to play with some new technology. So uh, I'm looking forward to rolling that out. And it definitely does look like it's a very exciting development, the whole the whole headless CMS movement. Mm, it definitely is. I mean, we've been, we've been playing with it for a while now. And back in the day, uh, I've actually been talking to both web dev studios and Scott Bollinger on uh, AppPressor, which is kind of a way to turn your e-commerce store into uh, kind of a mobile application, and then Reactor, which is the SaaS behind all of that. So we have played with that for a while, and then we kind of said, well, okay, what else we can do? Like, we started to do uh, cross-platform mobile applications on top of WordPress, and we started to do uh, kind of different desktop applications talking to WordPress's REST API. So I would say that WordPress is definitely an application framework the way it looks right now. Mm. It really incorporates different APIs. It could be called from a separate system. You can use it to pull data and fetch data and send data and so on. Like uh, when I think of it, we we have also worked on bank websites and a telecom based on WordPress wow. over the past, let's say, seven years. So it, it's definitely a great platform to start building upon. 
And the traditional, it is a blogging platform or it's only suitable for five-page business websites. It's, this couldn't be farther from the truth. It's, yeah. it's a really powerful engine to build complex web applications nowadays. Yeah. And last time I checked, it's the, the market share of WordPress is about, it's close to 35%. So yeah. statistically speaking, every third website out there is WordPress. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day where my team tell me that I can just use a desktop app to write mm-hmm. my thoughts. In fact, probably you know, get them transcribed by Otter and just plug that into a desktop app so that I can just kind of talk my thoughts and then have it fed into a headless CMS online. That will be, uh, that's that's a very exciting time. Honestly, I do think it's possible now, but we can talk a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> hey, um, what's the, as a business owner, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night these days? Um, hoping that the company is still alive and kicking. Uh, just uh just uh for real like i really do enjoy the team that we managed to build over the years yeah and i really hope that you know like essentially what keeps me up at night is i want to make sure that everyone's happy everyone's satisfied we are closely monitoring everyone's career path and and really investing in fun stuff that keeps everyone entertained and engaged and you know self-learning and just improving from a career standpoint and also improving on a personal level and this was something that was easier to manage back when we were about 10 people. Now that we're almost 50, it's just harder to work with people on a day-to-day basis and make sure that they're satisfied. Yeah. So for the most part, I'm just trying to monitor all the channels and, and PM system and Slack and everything else and just kind of looking for cues if something's going wrong and saying, hey, no, I really need to follow up as soon as possible and just make sure it's not something that we did, but it's an external factor like family or friends or car or house or whatever it is. You know, yeah. something that's outside of the company. That's all I need to know. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Hey, dude, congratulations. It's been uh, fascinating watching you grow this over the last few years and, and getting to know you. And just a huge congratulations on what you've built. And it's uh, great to see that you're still having fun doing it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And I'm also very grateful of WP Elevation, by the way, because now that you say that, uh, our request a website form is almost a copy paste of the blueprints that I got from the club several years ago. So kudos for that. Excellent. Hey, we should definitely do this again sometime because I know there's lots more I'd love to unpack about leadership styles and setting, you know, goal setting and vision and all that kind of stuff. So we'll definitely get you back on the show at some point. Yeah, you betcha. Awesome. Have a good one and thanks, Mario. Take care. Talk soon. Bye for now.